Our second reading this morning is uh, Romans chapter 8. I will read the first 11 verses. Romans chapter 8. Hear the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life because of righteousness, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we uh, ask for your help this day as we crack open your word. We pray that you would speak your eternal word to us uh, this day. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. If you are in Christ, you are not a god, and you are not a goddess, but you are a temple. If you are in Christ, your body is inhabited by an alien being, by a being from beyond this world. I know that sounds a little bit like science fiction, but that's what the Bible teaches. And it is not a metaphor, and it is not an allegory, and it is not a parable. If you are in Christ, then an alien intelligence lives inside of you, which as it turns out is a very good thing. But it is admittedly very strange. If you are in Christ, you're not a god or a goddess, but you are a temple. I'm sure you've all heard the joke about cat theology and dog theology. Who's heard that one? Oh, this is so good. All right. So it goes something like this. A dog looks at its owner and thinks, he loves me, he takes care of my every need, he must be God. A cat looks at its owner and thinks, she loves me, she takes care of my every need, I must be God. (laughs) 
dog theology and cat theology. As Christians, we need dog theology. We can love cats, that's fine, but we need to think like dogs. They say that dogs have masters and cats have staff. If we have dog theology, we treat God like the one who's calling the shots and the one who deserves our loyalty and our affection. We're ecstatic every time we get a treat or can fetch a ball. We're content to just be with our master. And if he should discipline us, we humbly tuck our tail and try better next time. But if we slip into cat theology... We begin to treat God like a servant boy. We approve of God when he delivers to us what we want and when we want it, but we reject God when we're disappointed or when we don't get our way. And as for discipline, no cat has ever heard of discipline. Now, personally, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around this particular idea, but I have heard people say things like, I refuse to believe in a God who fill in the blank. I refuse to believe in a God and then state your demand as if we could fire God for not conforming to our job description for him as if it makes a lick of difference to the being of God whether or not we believe in him. Now if you think I'm making this up, if you think no one in the right mind would say such a thing, I should tell you that I googled the phrase. I refuse to believe in a God who, and I put the phrase in quotation marks, so it has to be that exact string. And up popped 58,000 unique hits. There are plenty of people with cat theology who think they get to write God's job description. So let's not make that mistake. Cat theologians think they are God, while dog theologians are totally convinced that they're not God. Our job as doggy Christians is to realize that the world does not revolve around us. Rather, it revolves around our master. Our job is to gratefully receive and enjoy our daily blessings. Our job is to wag our tails like crazy and to yip and delight every time the master walks into the room. And our job is to accept instruction and discipline from the one who loves us and feeds us. As doggy Christians, we are not gods or goddesses. Rather, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about how it is that we are in Christ. Individual Christians are joined to Christ like branches of a grapevine. Jesus says that he is the vine and that we are the As long as we remain connected to the vine, we live and prosper and bear good fruit. But if we're disconnected from the vine, we wither and are thrown into the fire. That's what John says, that's what Jesus says in John chapter 15. But while we are in Christ, it is also true that the Holy Spirit is in us. In fact, it's because the Holy Spirit is in us that We belong to Christ. Paul says this very directly. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul also writes, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that you're... He also says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Now... 
I hope you don't think that this indwelling by the Holy Spirit is just a New Testament idea because it's not. In a passage that applies both to the children of Israel who would be soon returning from Babylon and to the church of Jesus Christ which will be gathered from all nations, God says to his people through the prophet Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your sins. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Jesus also talks about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He says... I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now, a couple things to note here real quick. First, Jesus is not a universalist. Jesus never suggests that all people will be saved Or that all people will enjoy the same eternal destiny. Rather, as he does in many places, Jesus again draws a sharp distinction between two sets of people. Between the sheep and the goats. Between the church and the world. Between those who will receive the Spirit and those who cannot receive the Spirit. And second, Jesus says that this helper, the Spirit of the truth, will be in his disciples. Now, he's speaking before the day of Pentecost here. So, the event that he's talking about still lies in the future. But what's common in the testimonies of Paul and Ezekiel and Jesus is that the Holy Spirit can be inside or within individual human people. Other places in the scripture talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon or anointing an individual or the Holy Spirit being with or beside a person. But the norm within the church is that the Holy Spirit is in or inside or within individual followers of Jesus Christ. Now many people who hear this talk about the Holy Spirit being in us assume that this Two-letter word, I-N, is not to be read literally, but should be understood figuratively or allegorically. People in the newspaper business say that they have ink running through their veins. Eagles fans say that they bleed green. Those are figurative or allegorical ways of saying that journalism or Philadelphia football is really important to them. While we know in truth that their blood is red like everyone else's. But what if Paul and Jesus and Ezekiel are not being figurative or allegorical in their language? Have you considered that possibility? Now the Holy Spirit after all is a person. He is a self-subsistent, willful, intelligent, powerful person. The Holy Spirit is not a force field or a general principle or an amorphous atmospheric mood. The Holy Spirit is a person in the same way that we are persons. So what if this person, this divine person 
has the ability to remain who he is and at the same time inhabit and occupy the bodies of other persons. It's a trick that we can't do. But what if the Holy Spirit can do it? I know that sounds like science fiction, but what if it's true? What if the divine person is somehow co-mingled with our own person? What if God is in us, really, and not just figuratively? That, after all, is what the scriptures say when we read them literally. Now, it is my instinct to take scripture at its word to interpret Scripture as literally as possible, except in cases that are clearly not literal. There are times when Scripture speaks metaphorically or poetically or allegorically, and we don't have any problem understanding those passages. For example, when Jesus says, I am the gate, no one thinks that Jesus has hinges or a latch. What we understand is is that Jesus is using an allegory and that Jesus means that he is like a gate. But when scripture talks about the Holy Spirit being in us, the plain sense of those passages is, well, that he's in us. As weird as that might sound. I want to suggest a possibility to you and see whether or not you're able to believe it. Now, whether or not we interpret the claim that the Spirit is in us literally or metaphorically, there still are three powerful consequences to the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have an identity we cannot lose. The impossible becomes possible and we are connected with someone who is actually outside of this world. Let me go through those one at a time. First, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have an identity we cannot lose. Paul links the presence of the Holy Spirit in us with our identity in Christ. We talked about that last week. Go get the CD. If you didn't hear it, it's online. If you need to listen to it again. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we belong to Christ. We are united with Christ. We have been identified with Christ. And if we belong to Christ, we can never not belong to Christ. Jesus says this about those who belong to him. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. If God puts his Holy Spirit in us, we are permanently and indelibly marked as God's own. God says a similar thing to the children of Israel in Isaiah chapter 49. He says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. What he's saying is is that Almighty God has tattooed your name right here so that he can check to see if you're on the list. So that he'll never lose the list because it's engraved on his own body. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have an identity we cannot lose. We have an identity that has been tattooed on the hand of God. Second, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have a power that makes the impossible possible. The Holy Spirit is God. I guess you know that. And nothing is impossible with God. So when the Holy Spirit is in us, the impossible becomes possible. In our passage from Romans 8, we heard about the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the 
dead dwells in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies. Some might say that it's impossible for dead bodies to return to life or for mortal bodies to live forever. But with the Holy Spirit, the impossible becomes possible. Further, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit helps us with our prayers for the things that we want and need. Paul writes, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Combine that with Paul's description of who Jesus is as him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. And We realize that when we pray in the Spirit, the impossible becomes possible because of the presence of the Spirit, because of our communion with Almighty God. When Paul mentions the power at work within us, he means the power of the Holy Spirit. Now beginning in the Acts of the Apostles and then continuing throughout the rest of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is regularly connected with power. Dunamis is the word in Greek. When individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit, they displayed a power that surprised other people around them. When individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit, they displayed power in a way that surprised people who knew that person in their old life. Just before his ascension, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Ordinary men, humble men, uneducated men were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden they began to speak with great boldness and great power as though they were men accustomed to ruling, as though they were men of authority. Although they weren't. The impossible became possible. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have a power that makes the impossible possible. And third, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we are connected to someone beyond this universe. And I mean that literally. Paul says that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's not misunderstand about how this works. God is in his holy temple, but that holy temple doesn't contain God. That holy temple isn't a cage for God. That holy temple doesn't restrict God. In Old Testament times, God was present in the Holy of Holies, atop the Ark of the Covenant. That spot was called the footstool of God. God, who was beyond the universe, was truly present at that spot, however, mysterious as that might be. And when Paul says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that's what he has in mind. That the Holy Spirit, a free, intelligent person beyond the universe, is truly and really present there in our bodies. We don't contain or cage or restrict the Holy Spirit, but He is there by being in Christ. A conduit between our world and God's world has opened up and God's being, which is beyond this world, enters into this world inside of us. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Three remarkable benefits Of having the Holy Spirit in us. We have an identity we cannot lose. It 
with the Holy Spirit inside of us, the impossible becomes possible. And we are connected to someone who is outside of this universe. All right, that's the good news. Let me give you the bad news. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you have to get your house in order. When guests come over to your house, you clean. When Almighty God says he's going to stop by, you put your house in order. In Romans chapter 8, Paul keeps hammering at the opposition between the flesh and the spirit. He keeps pointing out that if we indulge in the one, we will exclude the other. In our first reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this spiritual house cleaning becomes a mandate. Paul writes, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And because the Holy Spirit is in our body, Paul tells us the body is not meant for sexual immorality. If you invite God to take up residence in your house, you won't be hosting any orgies there anymore. And if, by the way, sexual immorality is not your cup of tea, then replace orgies with whatever your favorite sin is, because I'm sure you've got one. Just as we are careful about what we allow to happen in our Houses of worship, our temples and our churches, we also need to be very careful about what we allow to happen in our bodies because God is present in our bodies and we don't want to insult him with our shenanigans. And one final point, another point at which the gospel teaches exactly what's contrary to what the world teaches you six days a week. Did you notice Paul's little sentence, you are not your own, you're bought with a price? The world says, this is my body, and I can do with it whatever I please. If I want to neglect or abuse my body, that's my business. If I want to turn my body into an art project, that's my business. If I want to sell my body, that's my business. If I want to use my body as a psychedelic amusement park, that's my business. It's my body. And I'll do with it as I please. That's what the world says. And to tell the truth, that's fine for the world. Let them. But it's not okay for those who are in Christ. Because we who are in Christ have been bought with a great price. And our bodies do not belong to us. Our bodies belong to God. They are temples of the Holy Spirit. Every decision that we make about our bodies must be made in light of the fact that our bodies don't belong to us. But are temples owned and inhabited by God. And we're just here to take care of them. And by the way, this has implications also for how we treat other people's bodies too. We need to treat the bodies of other people as temples of the Holy Spirit, the bodies of unborn children, the bodies of the aged and infirmed, the bodies of people under our power, the bodies even of our enemies. They don't belong to us, and we are obliged to treat them with care and respect that is due to their owner, Almighty God. So... In closing, my fellow doggy Christians, let me say this. You're not a god or a goddess, but you are a temple. And if you're in Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. 
And my prayer for us today is that we would be in Christ, that we would be united with him by the unbreakable bonds of the Holy Spirit, and that we would flourish and thrive as we realize the wonderful position that we have as the adopted children of God and as the holy temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of your spirit here um, in this room this morning. Lord Jesus, you promised that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, that you would be there. And so we welcome you here to HVPC. Holy Spirit, you have been given to us at our rebirth. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you more clearly. That we would be more attuned to your movements in our bodies and in our spirits. That we would be more aware of your leading. That we would be more obedient to your calling. We thank you that you are the bond that ties us to Christ. That ensures our eternal salvation. And we pray that in our bodies and in our lives that we might honor you. That we might live like temples to you. Because you are worthy. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.